Podcast. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westcott demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Today we're talking a movie from 2023, You People. A Netflix original available on Netflix starring Jonah Hill and Lauren London. Not to mention Eddie Murphy and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Come on, it's a Jewish movie. You got to get the Jewish person's name right. Julia Louise Dreyfus. <laughs> Eventually you'll get it right just by like, if you change it up, there's only so many variations. <laughs> you can't make one as silent and then the other pronounceable. Look, I'm with you. It was such a weird feeling that Julia Louis-Dreyfus Louis was so cute and yet so just annoying the worst i got many weird bad feelings during you people weird bad feelings in like a good provocative way i mean not really where was i kept on like we were waiting for eddie murphy right for a good portion of the movie where's eddie murphy right <laughs> i literally asked brian what felt like halfway through the movie is is eddie murphy in this movie <laughs> and he's like yeah but he has to be set up correctly. <laughs> I was surprised that he wasn't the fast-talking podcaster on black culture whose daughter gets involved with uh, a not-black guy. No, he was a very toned-down Eddie Murphy. He played this like a like a racial drama, not like a racial comedy. Yeah, it was weird. He said that he had a great time playing someone who was very toned-down and sedate. I think this is kind of who Eddie Murphy is now. Like he's very quiet, so. very reserved, and it's mm -hmm. weird. I've you heard think this. It's like he's aging into it or whatever. He gave up the Eddie Murphy laugh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I heard this. I once worked with a voice director who had directed Eddie Murphy, and he said that he came in just like stone cold, quiet, reserved, like you're not really talking to anybody. Not that he was rude or anything like that, but then the moment that they turned on the recording, he became animated and really wild and yeah and then like immediately after they were done he like folded back up into himself like i wonder if people come up to eddie murphy and do the laugh and be like hey you know be be on be the character it's weird it's it's weird i used to laugh like eddie murphy because of eddie murphy this is like an eddie murphy performance where it's like julia louis dreyfus jonah hill what's her nuts and eddie murphy like it's limited like is he a main cast member i, I feel like he's not the mom and the dad play the most the most important roles in terms of breaking up the, their their marriage, their relationship. So in that sense, they're dominant. Yeah. In a weird way, it's Jonah Hill's movie. And yet it's so clearly like a hip hop movie. Am I wrong in saying like that? Like right out of the gate, I, I'm ashamed to say that I was very annoyed by the credits. It felt yes, like that no. script. It was like doing it was like working like I have to figure yes. this out. Yes. And it was uh, d director Kenya Barris who did an, a number of things, small things. This is his first feature film. And it felt very much like if Eddie Murphy was going to be involved, he was going to take creative control over it. He was going to kind of control or approve who the director was. But this was Jonah Hill's show. And it feels weird to say that. 
he wrote this role and, you know, starred in it and I think he produced it. Produced it. It definitely felt like Jonah Hill is like, okay, I'm going to embrace my love of black culture and hip hop culture and make a movie about that disparity and acceptance in that world or whatever. And I like Jonah Hill. I think he's great. And he's a funny writer. But when he's so clearly a fish out of water, a lot of it was awkward. Like we were waiting for Eddie Murphy. I was like, when is Ben Stiller going to show up? Because this really uncomfortable thing is like his forte where it's not funny. It's just like so awkward. And you're like punching yourself in the forehead, trying to get Julia Louis-Dreyfus to stop saying the things she's saying. <laughs> just stop. Just stop. Just stop talking. It's a romantic comedy about fashion and entertainment and sneakers and stuff. And based in L.A., so I came up with Sex in Century City. Sex in Century City. Wow. I came up with You People Can Be Good People. That's the Which full is title? the moral of the story, yes. <laughs> no, I need it to be much more offensive. So when they do all the funny things, like the family is all wacky and stuff, and they have like an Eddie Murphy-style dinner where you, like I looked really closely to find out if he was playing any of the other characters <laughs> around the dinner table or in the barbershop scene. Right. And they had to very carefully tailor that barbershop scene so it wasn't an obvious imitation of coming to America. How could you? It was like literally the same barbershop. Except it was in L.A. and that barbershop was in New York. I mean, yeah, but like the same layout. Do they all have the same layout? And so then there was the uh, the quirky family dinner scene where Julia Louis-Dreyfus is so painfully white, I guess. And it was the most awkward thing ever. That reminded me of the David Allen Greer parent scene that Eddie Murphy featured in. And so I came up with the alternate title is Jumarang. Jumarang. <laughs> wow. This movie felt like it was five hours long. It was pretty long. It was pretty long for it being kind of so predictable. Honestly, though, as um, kind of bizarre as Eddie Murphy's performance, Scott, I couldn't get enough of him. Like, I just love seeing him. He looks Just leaves great. you wanting more, huh? He gave us that little taste when he and Mike Epps are in the car. No, no, no. It's when Eddie Murphy and Jonah Hill are in the car and he mocks Jonah Hill. About the song? Well, oh no, he does like, an impression. Yes, he's like he does the white man impression. I'm not gonna fall for the banana and the tailpipe. <laughs> and it was like just that little tease was like, oh, I know you're in there, Eddie Murphy. Like I just I want more Eddie Murphy. I mean, it seemed like he improved. There was like a blooper reel and stuff. And of course, you're not gonna stop Eddie Murphy if he tries to improv. But most of the stuff that made me laugh were like one-offs that felt very Jonah Hill. I did laugh when she said he looks like a young Hulk Hogan. <laughs> right, <laughs> with his sister. That's a great sister, like Zing. Yeah. But I don't know, man. It's like he was not constrained in the role. It's just he was given a role and could didn't make it his movie. So he just was himself and not in a good way. Eddie Murphy? Not in the Eddie Murphy way that we're accustomed to. Like he was a little bit wasted in the role? If you want to talk about wasted in the role, David Duchovny. I don't know. Kelly Ray said, is that David Duchovny? Like after a while, like it was just, he was just a role. Like, a, yeah, I guess you're right. It was kind of thankless. Thankless and just a couple one-liners here and there kind of fading into the background. Yeah. I think that's what David Duchovny does in real life, though. You know, I feel like he could have been anybody or maybe just a plant. And we would have been like, okay. Meet the Mohammeds. <laughs> that would have been the 
Ben Stiller version. Yep. Well, people have been comparing this to Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Have you seen that? There are multiple versions of that, including Guess Who with Bernie Mac and Ashton Kutcher. I've seen none of them. It's like a it's like a cultural experience, and obviously that's what they're trading on. And then it takes a left turn into romance awfully suddenly and they just started dating and he's like how about we get married will you marry me and i was like whoa when you meet your soulmate bruh i guess well maybe that was part of the problem i think across the board with this film was that their relationship their courtship felt very superficial it didn't justify them kind of jumping into marriage even their chemistry like i think their chemistry was fine but we never we i don't think we ever see them kiss we did a couple times really i mean they felt so chaste i mean Dude. i felt like a really gr- i mean i'm not interested in necessarily in seeing jonah hill naked but i felt like a good awkward <sighs> sex scene would have been really funny dude i didn't even consider it and then you put that image in my head (laughs) it would the sex was superficial the characters you know event overall right were no more than just their cringe-worthy inappropriate dialogue and even for movie and podcasters that deal with culture do you feel like we ever really went deep into an la culture or a racial culture in like a true sense No, it was like a commentary or an examination of a racial relationship, but I don't think it really pushed much at all. As a matter of fact, maybe to the contrary, they so thoroughly, the only reason they checked themselves is they're like, oh, because I realized I'm being an a-hole and you don't deserve that and that sucks and I'm going to try to be better, but... They were pretty consistently horrible to each other the entire time. We had to do the thing where Eddie Murphy gets put in his place and then Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who wasn't cruel... I would venture to say that Eddie Murphy was deliberately mean, but Julia Louis-Dreyfus was so clueless, and that's certainly not a justification. She was confused, and when she was like, oh, tears, now you're going to start crying, right? I was like, yeah, she has no clue what she's doing wrong. Hmm. Even though she was turning herself into the victim and making it about her? I I guess. I don't know, man, because it's it's difficult for me to approach this movie from a position of knowledgeable discourse in terms of respectful acknowledgement of racial cultural differences. Kelly Ray was like, she turned to me and she was like, maybe you guys shouldn't review this. <laughs> like a cultural racial minefield? Right, because I'm going to say something like Jew Meringue. Exactly, which you did. I feel like I'm not really too worried about it because my beef isn't with how it deals with race. I've probably heard in some form or fashion all of the kind of weird things that that, that people said in this movie over the course of my lifetime growing up in L.A., but but that's not my my problem with the film. I think my problem with the film is that this is a so this is a comedy, right? So like <laughs> if you have to ask, then I don't know. <laughs> Come hell or high water, we're going to end this thing with a wedding, right? So we know where we're going. And yet the theme of the film was you people, even though you people are racist and you people are other than me, the message was, but you can also be good people. And if you are a good person, then I guess it's okay if you marry my daughter or my son. But it was, did you feel like this movie was fresh in its take on race and racism? Um, I felt like it was too fresh. It touched on contemporary themes and it felt very woke and it felt like, you know, a modern, it felt like the kind of movie where Eddie Murphy would be horrified if you told him in 30 years, this is what you're going to be doing. (laughs) 
I think that that was, I think the intention was it to feel very contemporary. And yet I felt like the theme was very regressive. This is like the anti-Romeo and Juliet. Shouldn't the message not be, okay, if you're a good person, you're allowed to be in my family? Shouldn't the message be, you know, love conquers all, love rises above? I mean, I guess, and that's a, it's a lovely notion, but they're still going to have all the cultural problems moving forward. Yeah, but you, I mean, the fact that it was the cultural and f- filial problems that broke them up, and then also the families that brought them together and basically planned their wedding for them, like it made these two characters, it, it made love feel weak, whereas this movie had a really incredible opportunity to explore an intercultural, interracial love relationship and what that really means. I mean, love comes in many, many forms, but they could explore that they really do unite over culture. But I mean, when people were like, I can't see what my daughter would see in you. Like, I was kind of like, well, I mean, yeah, what's what is the basis for their love? And why is it so kind of why, why does it not rise to the occasion? Yeah, we have to find a common ground so that the colors disappear. And it, we never really got that chance. I think that if it had been an early Spike Lee level examination of race and love interdynamics, then it might have like I don't know if you consider like movies like Jungle Fever or Do the Right Thing are they comedies? I don't know, but it didn't. This one seemed to land squarely in perceived comedy territory. Whereas if they had dug a little bit deeper or taken some real risks, then it might have been remembered for something greater than a simple. Oh, I hate to say it. Lovebirds level, fish out of water <laughs> kind of romantic comedy. Because that's the Wait. kiss of death right there. Kamel Nanjani, Lovebirds, Issa Rae, Lovebirds, the worst movie you've ever seen, Lovebirds? Yes, for many reasons. Listen to our podcast, available now at Or Whatever Movies. Look, here, here's a microcosmic example of this movie. Because you remember when you didn't remember if they kissed at all? Yeah. That kiss at the end, at their wedding, was completely CGI. What? What do you mean? I don't know. Why? I don't know, man. They they got into position. They moved as though to kiss and stopped. And then for whatever reason, CGI pushed him in. And, and to be perfectly honest, like you would think that Kumail and Issa would like do interviews and stuff together. And maybe they did for press junkets. I've never seen these two in, in interviews together or anything promoting. It's... It's weird. And the fabricated nature of this romance shows like you didn't feel any real chemistry or any realism in their intimacy. And the awkwardness and the horribleness were I saw them together and it was difficult for me to believe that Eddie Murphy and Julia Louis-Dreyfus would, as their characters or whatever, would would be able to tolerate each other enough to sit down and work it out, especially planning a wedding. Can you imagine the two of them planning a wedding? Which, by the way, was the biggest misstep that this movie made. What you don't do as old racist people is plan your kid's wedding. <laughs> exactly. And was their schism so simply fixed? Like, oh, my mom's cool with it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Let's, well, let's do this. Well, my dad's cool with it. So, yeah, let's actually go into this next room over here and get married. Oh. <sighs> It, it made the characters in that sense feel inactive. I felt like it was a weird message to say. I feel like the takeaway was regardless, 
if you're white or if you're black, you can still be a good person as opposed to, okay, that this love is real and this love will sustain. It will manage. I take it back. Them planning the wedding was not the biggest misstep of this movie. The biggest misstep of this movie is trying to convince us that they could immediately buy a house in L.A. on a podcaster salary. (laughs) Well, he was in finance for 10 years. It was a nice house, and it was completely and immediately interiorly designed. Minimum. How much would it cost to buy that house in L.A.? That house, for wherever it was located, it was nice and cute. If it's anywhere, if it's within 50 miles of Century City, that thing was seven fifty eight hundred minimum with the additional oh decoration and stuff. It was easy, a million, easily a million all told. <laughs> Uh, am I, yeah. am I, no, am I, being, I think it's probably, yeah, I think you're being it's probably double that. I'm ignorant. And that's, that's scary for me. It's pretty bad. Remember that episode of rock? He was rock, a garbage yes. collector. Chuck Dutton. Yeah. Charles Dutton. Yeah. Remember when they save up to buy a house and then they go to like a house, a house auction. And then like the moment it opens up, he makes his bid and is immediately outbid and immediately doesn't have another chance. Okay. Is that how it really is? That's what buying a house in LA is like. You're like, all right, I'm putting it all in. I'm giving it my best shot, best foot forward. And people are like, ha ha, all cash, 20% over asking. So that's disheartening because I'm trying to consider the idea of the possibility of potentially one day, ideally speaking, purchasing a home. But it's actually encouraging because you pulled out of your butt the Charles S. Dutton early 90s show Rock. Which I loved. Me too. Who and didn't then, love rock? We're there. We saw the boomerangs and we saw all the Eddie Murphy stuff. And we are as, okay, well, maybe, I, maybe I'm too old for it. But we grew up immersed in a melting pot L.A. culture. And so we know a lot of a lot of the stuff. Like, I don't think that that Jonah Hill is clueless. I think that him putting it all on the table is maybe not enough for this audience in terms of I mean, he's well aware of what he called the culture that Eddie Murphy mocked him for or whatever. But he's got some of it. And I feel like I caught some of it. I felt good about myself when he said, like, you deboed your way in. I was like, I know what that reference is. Ooh, tell me, tell me. It was from uh, from Friday. Debo was Tiny Lister Jr. Maybe, you know what? I've been wanting to watch and review that one. Friday? Yeah, we've talked about this. <sighs> it's just asking for trouble. I mean, I, I'm not sure if we're qualified. So let's continue this discussion in the form of questions, interview questions for you. Okay. Shall we? I mean this with all seriousness. Is pulling off a black woman's wig offensive? Sorry, Wes, I had the same question. It sure seemed like it. It it seemed horrifying. I mean, I've worked on so many black uh, reality TV shows. They don't make secrets about wearing wigs. But I guess if they get get yeah. it snatched off when they're not prepared, they get really upset yeah. about it. So was Eddie Murphy kidding when he said that he had the nappiest hair in that cafe or wherever I they were? I don't know, but he only he is allowed to say it. And the black characters can say things in this movie, which is my next question. Is it okay or is it racist? And would it be racist the other way around? This is not a joke. I'm being sincere. When he was like, this is your white grandfather coming back to haunt me. If Julia Louis-Dreyfus had said, who is this black woman? 
You know, like, is that, would that be acceptable in the context of this movie? Because definitely he harped on him being white almost constantly. And I don't think it's reversible. I don't know know how you think I'm any kind of authority on this, but I think that the point here is that Jonah Hill is embracing black and urban culture. Yes. And yet he's not black. And so maybe if like Amira was like whitewashing and trying to pretend, you know, and trying to assimilate, right, and be very banana in the tailpipe, then, <laughs> you know, maybe it would have been maybe the problem or the onus would be on her. But also there's like a Black Lives Matter thing when white people got all, all lives matter, where it's like, yeah, but like right now we're talking about black lives. So we're not saying that all lives don't matter. But we're just saying that right now we're talking about black lives. So by hyper fixating on this point, I might be I might be overlooking the point, the actual point of the movie, which is did Jonah Hill write a screenplay in which the black parents can outwardly loathe the whites as a race? I mean, maybe if they have a turn and recognize that Jewish people can also be good people. I guess so. There definitely was that turn where both of them got their comeuppance and saw the other side. And made amends. Not that love conquers all, but rather that maybe you can be a good person and still be not white or not black. Isn't it willful ignorance to not have seen Forrest Gump, regardless (laughs) of your race? Uh, I mean, could you say the same thing about any of Spike Lee's movies? I, I guess so. I've seen a number of them, but certainly not all of them, like the Coen brothers. Okay, speaking of movie references, I have a question slash challenge for you. Okay. Three ways that you people is like The Hangover. Um. There are more than three ways, so I'm going easy on you. Does one of the white guys get clocked by a black guy? <laughs> are you t- referring to Mike Tyson knocking out <laughs> Zach Galifianakis? Yeah. Oh, Mike Epps, for sure. Mike Epps. How is it like the hangover? I'll give you one. He was definitely channeling his Zach Galifianakis. Jonah Hill was? With the beard and the hair? I don't know, man. I mean, I've seen Jonah Hill in this kind of mode before where his eyebrows are blonde and suddenly he's a surfer. I think that's real life. And he's like, if I'm going to play like this character that's the opposite of black culture as much as I embrace it, then how about I do the new Jonah Hill surfer with the worst hairdo ever kind of thing. <laughs> so and, and the ta- Like, I think those were, that was his natural hair, his natural clothes, and all his real tattoos. And natural eyelashes. Yeah. Like distractingly blonde eyelashes. Yeah. No, I think it's all sun bleached, and I think it's real. It's so bizarre. Well, they literally ripped Grandma's Holocaust ring from The Hangover. Oh, yeah? Oh. You can't, <laughs> you can't just go all Holocaust ring into bachelor party movies. Maybe there's lots of Holocaust rings. <laughs> I don't think a lot of those made it out of there. I mean, was this a comedy? I guess so. It seems like that's how it was going. I mean, he has Jonah Hill and, and Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy not in a comedy? I know he's made some. I know he went all Jim Carrey for a few movies, but that's his jam. And it took a total devolving into slapstick and the koofy stomp before Kelly Ray left. And I think because it was firmly in check by the horrible awkwardness of each family interaction and cultural dynamic shifts. It was more awkward than the Fablemans. (laughs) Cringe fest spring 2023. Really awkward. (laughs) Uh, I did. I did laugh at, hey, can I get an ETA on those potatoes? (laughs) I laughed at Hood Tron. I don't know why. 
Tron was like the last thing they wanted to make the wedding like a hood Tron. Oh, that was funny. I don't know. Like, do, do white people like Tron or something? <laughs> Black people like Tron. I think that was the point. Not quite the uh, not quite the lovebirds or whatever, because I, I didn't hate it. But I, I was on the fence. Wow. I struggled with this one. And I can't ultimately get behind it. And I don't think this worked as a comedy, as a drama, as moving the cultural needle, as a justifiable, like, you do your thing, Jonah Hill. It's nice to see you writing your own stuff or whatever, a la Seth Rogen, but I'm not going to watch it again. Like, I feel like it was just, I think it was below the line and it was whatever, but it like, you know, whatever. It's on Netflix and it seems like a perfect plain movie. Perfect plain movie? Yeah, a movie to watch on the plane. Oh, 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 right. Yeah, captive audience movie. Yeah, exactly. But not captive like the Holocaust or like slavery. A little bit of a missed opportunity, a little bit of a waste of some of these really talented performers. Um, but that's not my beef with you people. It's, um, I think, the missed opportunity for a really, you know what? I think maybe the, I got the theme of this movie wrong. I thought the theme should be Love Conquers All. I thought that the theme was you racist people can actually be good people. But I think the theme is, I think it's what Mo says, which is ultimately black people and white people can't get along. I didn't see this wonderful possibility of what interracial love could look like. Did you give your rating? I don't know. I don't think there's, I don't think this is, I mean, we didn't rate, did you, you didn't even rate uh, coming to America. Oh man, you're afraid of assigning a rating to a racially sensitive movie. Yeah. I'm, I have paralyzing fear that I said a whole bunch of racist stuff a la Julia Louis-Dreyfus today, and I'm, I'm terrified that I am actually that person. Oh, man. Now, if you had just put all those horrible things down on paper, it would be a greenlit produced screenplay featuring Eddie <laughs> Murphy. Eddie Murphy. I was wondering, like, I was like, I thought it was inspiration. We should review you. It's an Eddie Murphy movie that no one seems to be talking about. Now I know why. Yeah, you should have. We should have. I should have known the moment that he made his entrance where it's totally built up and there's this like awesome music playing and he's like walking in and we're filming him and following him from from behind. But then it was completely unmotivated. I should have known at that moment what kind of Eddie Murphy film this was going to be. Man. So there you have it. That's our discussion on You People, available on Netflix. But you know that because you've already checked it out, which is why you are here listening to this discussion. Did you know that there are 200 plus other movies that you've seen that we've discussed at orwhatevermovies.com? No? Well, go check them out. Give us a five-star rating. It helps other people find us. If you'd like to get in touch, 818 eight three five zero four seven three or whatever movies at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. We are a multiracial podcast. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electricast production. Electricast.
Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid. Electric acid.